Thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, so we have our first video podcast of our new project called The Accelerators. Uh, and that is uh, going to be run by myself, uh, Matt Spraker, uh, Seymour Parikh, and, uh, and uh, Anna Lauschus. Um, we're going to be doing this new project, which is going to be a multimedia kind of um, uh, experience, or I don't know what to call it, but basically we're going to be doing some media um, kind of creation about uh, having some conversations about things that are not really discussed too often enough in, in radiation ecology. Um, so this is our first one. We're officially podcasters now. Uh, and today uh, with us, we have um, Sarah McAvoy, uh, who is the program director at University of Maryland. We have Christina Henson, who is the program director at University of Oklahoma. And then the other participants are us. And, and uh, Anna is going to be at uh, Green Bay Oncology. Uh, she's graduating from University of Michigan, like right now. So congratulations. That's that's awesome. Uh, and then Simul is going to be the medical director at uh, Radiation Oncology Multicare um, in Tacoma. Um, and I'm actually at the uh, Washington University in, in St. Louis. Um, these are not this is not sponsored by any of our institutions. This is just kind of our own thing. Um, but we're going to basically dive in tonight doing a practical roundtable. Um, and we're going to be doing something called New Starts for Residents. And really what it's going to be is really just a practical look at how to um, be a really good resident, how to succeed in residency, how to find yourself, how to be well and, 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 and have a great career. So uh, we will dive in. Uh, so we, we wanted to kind of start out uh, a little bit casual. We were going to start by talking first about the next big trip that we're going to take because we're all pent up from, from COVID and we all want to travel. And I think we had some interesting emails about this during this week. So um, let's just go around and, and kind of take, quickly kind of say what your next big trip is going to be or your dream trip kind of post-COVID. So uh, a lot of you know I'm transitioning jobs and so I have a little bit of a break in between. So we are going to go to Mexico City and then to a beach outside of Ixtapa in Mexico uh, before starting the next job in Tacoma. Um, and my parents are coming in, so that means we don't have the kids. So it's actually truly going to be a vacation. <laughs> we were talking about <laughs> kids' free trips. Yeah, yeah. That sounds great. Um, yeah, I guess I can go next. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm also be transitioning jobs. I'll be graduating from residency here in a few weeks and I'm looking forward to, I kind of plan this whole family trip um, actually with the, the kids or my sister's um, kid um, out to Orlando. So we're actually going to be going to Harry Potter world and kind of doing all the theme parks. Um, so I'm huge uh, into that. And so really looking forward to celebrating um, finishing residency with that trip. Very cool. I, I really, uh, I really like Disney a lot. I think it's a ton of fun. Even I don't have kids. So we what my wife and I go, but we have like a lot of fun when we go there, even though kid, kids list. So yeah, I've not been I heard from a few people. It might be more fun without kids. Yeah. <laughs> it was really, yeah. It's really, they have like adult kind of stuff. They, we went, um, I, I haven't been to Disney world in like a long time. They have a, um, we went to Disneyland in Anaheim as part of like kind of as part of a conference uh, and we spent a couple of days there and they have like replicate, like, like, um, what are they called? Sort of like, um, like models of like places in the country. So in the Anaheim one, they have like New Orleans, which I haven't been to, but it seemed like it probably looks like New Orleans based on the pictures I've seen. And it, you can kind of just go there and be in like New Orleans for a couple hours or whatever. It's kind of fun. Yeah. That's like Epcot in Florida. You yeah. Can each country and have a drink from each country. Although you'll be pretty sauced if you do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm looking forward to a, Harry Potter, because it, 
the whole animatronics um, at the uh, Universal Studios and then the Islands of Adventure. And then actually I'll be doing the water park um, for the first time, which I'm hopefully don't have to wear masks in that because I think it'll just be drenched in uh, water. But um, yeah, it's uh, my parents love Harry Potter. So I'll pretty much be playing the part of the little kid with the wand making magic happen in uh, Hogwarts. So. That's awesome. <laughs> nice. Well, we have, I've heard someone recently differentiate between when you have kids, what is a vacation and what is a trip? So we have one of each. We have a vacation, which is where you don't take your kids um, going to Texas Hill Country just to relax. And then a, a trip to Estes Park in Colorado with the, with the kids at the YMCA like cabins that are there. My understanding is that it's like family camp and they have activities all day long. Um, so I'm excited. Cool. That's awesome. Like YMCA of the Rockies, probably. That's yeah. a nice area. Yeah. yeah. Lots of wildlife scenery. I'm from Colorado, so I'm familiar with it. It's fun. I love Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> my, ne my next trip is actually with the kids um, home to Montana, which is where my, my parents have a ranch. So it's like uh, it's like an amusement park all wrapped up in one little visit with the grandparents. So that'll be fun. And then awesome. hopefully our next vacation is actually going to be Prague and Cyprus. Um, so we're trying to plan that for the end of the summer if we can pull it together. That's I haven't been to either, so I'm excited. <laughs> I went to Prague was part of my honeymoon. It was we oh, were yeah. young. I it, it was one of those trips. We were very young, and it was one of those trips where I'm. I feel like we're lucky that we didn't get like abducted or like you know, lost <laughs> somewhere because it's, it was. We were very young, and we were just running around Europe like you know, at, like newlywed. So it was. It was, it was <laughs> yeah, where where in Montana? I, I love Montana. It's awesome. Uh, Northwest Montana, like halfway between Missoula and Kalispell, kind of by okay. the Flathead Lake area. Oh, yeah. so so we shouldn't spend too much on personal stories. <laughs> when, we, when I moved to, I just want to tell this really quick because that area is so awesome. And like when, when we, when I moved from Seattle to St. Louis to start work, um, we did like a 16 day road trip and we spent two of the days in Kalispell. And it was just yes. such a beautiful area. And the striking thing about Montana is there's, it's so open like there's just nothing like for miles and the houses are so spread out it's really it's really cool so it's like yeah yeah so that's probably not why people are listening so we should jump into the, to the <laughs> here so i didn't we're a novice novice i guess vod, vodcaster video podcaster and i, I didn't really explain what we're going to be doing so the accelerator concept is that um, Simul, Anna, and I are going to be kind of incubating some ideas and, and of some content that I think is, is stuff that really hasn't been put out there. And there's a lot of stuff that people talk about on, on Twitter, but it's a limited modality where you kind of are limited in what you can say. And it makes people, um, I think it's hard to have nuance there. So we're going to be a little bit more long-winded here, but we wanted to talk a lot about uh, how to be a successful resident and, and issues that residents are facing and, and things that, you know, we could kind of give advice and, and talk about for, for the next hour or so. So um, just to get to dive in, um, we, we, we met before and we talked about a lot of different topics. Um, one of the unifying topics we talked quite a bit about that's very important for being successful is, is learning how to accept feedback and reflecting and, and improving as a resident. Um, and, and I think that that's something that is, can be very challenging, um, for a PGY2, because you, you kind of go from being like an intern on a team to like a fellow in an apprentice model, like right away, um, overnight. And, and it's really, um, can be jarring for people. So, so, um, do you, so we, you know, we talked a little bit about being proactive and trying to seek out feedback, be part of the team. Um, can, do, does anyone want to talk a little bit about, um, kind of some advice with that respect? Or with respect to that? 
So I guess one, one piece of advice that I have is sort of give yourself some grace, which is that you starting radiation oncology, you basically have to learn like an entirely new language, um, which is complicated. And I think that one of the things that I often say is that, you know, you may or may not feel super comfortable depending on what attending you get paired up with for, for residents. Um, it, it is very intense. And sometimes you feel kind of, I don't know, it's, it's a little bit embarrassing to ask your chair of your department, like what's a collimator? <laughs> Um, but you don't like hatch fully formed knowing all of these things. So your co-residents can often be like a huge source of all those little, little pieces of knowledge. But the nice kind of cool thing about radiation oncology is it is such an interdisciplinary thing. And I feel like right along the line, even as an attending, like I learn a ton from dosimetrists and from nurses and from therapists and from physicists. And sometimes like you don't mind asking the dosimetrist, like they said a tangent what's that? <laughs> you know, like you can ask them that question and, and it doesn't like get back to the attending or you don't have to feel like you're, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Like nobody knows what they're talking about when they start. Um, but I do think that sort of tapping into that kind of group knowledge of the whole department is, is something that is really nice as an early resident. I agree. And some programs may have that kind of built into a boot camp for people starting out, but a lot may not. So even just approaching a therapist saying, hey, can I watch you guys set up and treat a patient? You know, you may not have, have done that before residency um, and kind of walk me through the lingo of what do you mean when you say isocenter? You know, why are you putting those stickers there? How did you know which direction to move the patient? Um, you know, go up to the nurse and say, can you walk me through the skincare products that we have for our breast patients? What are the different wound dressings? Um, and again, yeah, not everything has to be asked of, of the attending, which is usually a lesson that people kind of learn during interning here, but definitely befriend um, the staff in your department. Yeah, I mean, I think even at this point, I'm no longer a resident, but I'm continuing to have to learn new things and old things properly. And so to piggyback, use your staff well, um, ask them questions. They appreciate it. I recently it was, uh, Christina had asked me to do a mock oral and um, I was like reviewing how to do IMCs and how I do it is a little bit different than other ways of doing it. So I asked my dosimetrist, um, you know, can you talk me through it? And she sent me a presentation that was like our entire planning process for any breast case. And I was like, wow, this would have been helpful during residency. Like every part of it, beam angles, leaves, how much should be for field and field. And, you know, that I would not have gotten that document from one of the physicians. And she was at, she she had put on this presentation. And I've I've actually sent it to residents. I just spoke to some residents recently and I sent it to them. So use that information wisely. They're they're your allies, generally speaking. Yeah. yeah. Oh, go sorry, was, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just gonna add, um, you know, I think I agree with you know everything that's been said. And kind of in addition, I think a really important lesson that I learned, you know, I'm at the end of my residency, but I think starting out right. It's kind of, um, you know, this experience where uh, it is kind of a humbling situation, right, where I think we go from kind of being the expert at, at kind of almost all times, right, you kind of learn the ropes, maybe intern year, just depending where you do it, you know, but, but by the end of that intern, you, you become an expert in your role at that. But then I think really for the first time in radiation oncology, just as um, Sarah, you, you talked about that. Um, yeah, I mean, you're kind of, no one's an expert. You don't, you don't know all this. And so I think, you know, be, be humble and, and recognize it's okay to say what you don't know. And actually the safest thing for the patient is going to be to recognize your own limits. And that extends beyond residency too. You know, even for me as a, as a chief resident, you know, earlier on a brachytherapy service, 
Um, you know, there, there is a, we do a lot of like interstitial cases actually interestingly here, but um, there is actually a ring in, in tandem kind of a routine case, but um, I actually, you know, made sure that like, I didn't feel comfortable, you know, removing that. And so I got my attending and kind of, you know, swallowed my pride and said, you know what, the safest thing for the patient is for me to recognize my own limit and to ask for help. And so I think that goes throughout the career, but we can learn kind of every day and, and to ask for help and, and to always keep the, I think a guiding principle for me has been keep the, um, what would be best for the patient in mind and always do that. And you'll never be wrong if that's your approach. That's really good advice. I think there, there are kind of two things that really stuck out to me. So one is, is what you had just said is, is being humble, right. And understanding your limitations. I feel like people, I feel like attendings could, could, could take that advice too. Like, so, you know, maybe some colleagues <laughs> in tumor board, things like that. Um, you know, I actually, but you know, what's funny is I was actually given that feedback, like as a second year attending, like, I think, um, what happens is you is, and this is really, it's about residents, but it's the same thing. It's just a different, like a different level or different um, stage of the progression that you do get pretty comfortable. You start having some success and then all of a sudden you become cocky. Right. And then you have to remember that, that that's really like, that doesn't help anybody. Like there's literally no upside to being like, a, you know, a cocky, like, you know, I guess asshole for the lack of a better word, but, but you know, that, that doesn't help anything. So I think, really recognizing that everyone in the team is an expert in, in what they do um, and, and really using that to try to learn all the aspects of, of radiation. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to point out, and we talked about this a little bit when we were planning this session was, um, so it's good to be like really friendly with the team and the staff and try to get good rapport with them. But someone did bring up that it actually is a little bit of a trap, right? Because you can actually have a professionalism trap that way. Um, a lot of the Staff members might be similar age to us or, or residents or things like that. And you can get very friendly with them. Um, and any advice about, about just making sure that you maintain professionalism and, and a good reputation in the department there? Yeah, I guess. Oh. You just always have to remember that you're the doctor, right? Like at the, at the end of the day, in your whole professional career, you're going to end up being the quarterback of that team. And you can have a great relationship with all of your staff. But at the end of the day, like you're going to have to figure out how to develop to be in charge of that team. And you're going to be asked at some point in your future careers and attending to make hard decisions. And you're not going to be able to please all of the staff. Physics is going to come to you and say, like, I want X. And you're going to say, I can't clinically do that for the patient. So sounds great, but I'm not treating a phantom. Um, and, and you like figuring out how to, how to keep the lines of communication open and have a good rapport with your staff so that they feel comfortable coming to you for issues. And you don't have errors that are caused by the fact that they won't talk to you because as Matt said, you're a cocky asshole, right? Like that doesn't get anybody anywhere. Um, but on the flip side, at the end of the day, like you're going to have to somehow develop into a doctor who can make the hard decision and can be in charge. And, and I think just sort of seeing and seeing the good and the bad examples in your own, in your own group, like there, there will always be a couple of people who you think like, oh, I hope I'm not that. Um, and then there will be other people who you'll like, who you'll glean things from and you'll be like, hey, that was a really great way of saying that to the nursing staff. Like, look how well that diffused this tense situation in the clinic um, and sort of like building that toolbox all through the course of your training. I think it's really important. And then, you know, take on point, just don't ever get drunk at the Christmas party. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I, uh, go ahead, Mike. No, you should, you, you're going to have a good story. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have unfortunately been the guy that's been drunk. <laughs> uh, and really, really seriously, that, that's a, that's a fair point. I mean, 
there's going to be events, there's going to be happy hours and there's going to be different socializing. You know, some of these people might, you might end up dating them and maybe, you know, crosses some of those, those boundaries we have to consider because you are the doc and you're there, you know, yes, you're living your life, but you're there for your education. That's it. Like this is your five years, four years that you're going to get a chance to learn. And if you start making some mistakes like that, it's going to harm your future learning, not, not your career. I wouldn't say that, like, but just you're going to miss some opportunities to learn some things. You know, there's the archetypes of residency. I think we all kind of know them. There's like super fun, cool guy who's friendly with everybody. I, I guess that's that role for a bit. And, you know, the, the, the good of it is good, but the bad of it is, good. you know, they, they may not respect you the same. And there's a super professional call me doctor on day one uh, type of person who can be kind of frustrating, a little bit arrogant seeming, but can really manage getting the team to listen to them. And so, you know, pick and choose from these archetypes and try to build a personality that makes sense for you at work. That's not to say change who you are, but there has to be like work Anna and work Christina and like after work, Christina and after work, Anna. Uh, but don't, yeah, I would say I've, I've also seen, I've seen enough. I've made some mistakes too. And I just, a lot of these tend to repeat themselves over the decades, I think with people. Oh, I was just going to add, um, yeah, I mean, I agree with, with kind of what we've discussed. And I think, right, just like anything, it's a it's a learning process. And, and right, like there's certain cultures, you know, certainly like each institution, each department is going to have its own culture and kind of preferred, um, for example, professional titles that people will be called. And right, for example, I was a little thrown off um, initially, right, well, there was kind of, right, this idea that, okay, the resident and the attending you know, of course, on like a in just one on one or in your office, it's okay to refer to by first name. And actually, that shows, okay, we're getting along, we're, we're kind of have a good rapport. But then, of course, in front of the patient, it should always be, you know, Dr. Lausch's, you know, Dr. So and so. And I think, right, especially as a female radiation oncology trainee, that's something that I've been attuned to because there have been times, right, where, you know, and I think not intentionally, but what, you know, maybe a, a male attending had introduced me as here's Anna. And then, you know, that kind of actually puts me a few steps back in terms of earning the patient's respect. Um, and so I think too, you know, in, I guess, in any sort of patient facing environment, just to be mindful of the names that you're referring to other colleagues, you know, and always refer to them as professional titles. Um, and, and similarly addressing patients, you know, it's kind of my, um, you know, uh, I guess, uh, prerogative, but I, I always address patients as, oh, you know, Mr. So-and-so, Ms. So-and-so. And then, um, you know, I think that goes a long way to kind of show that that mutual respect. But I think, you know, like I've been on the softball team with, you know, our, our um, with a lot of staff here and have gotten, you know, friendly with staff. But I think it's kind of like, even if you're on a first name basis in the after hours setting to then refer back or revert back to the professional titles, especially in any patient facing environment. Yeah, the title thing is really important. I think men, and men should be a little bit more um, conscious of this, but it's it's so easy to slip into that. I still see it at work. It's like Dr. Parikh and Sarah, who's also a physician, that the email be addressed that way. And like, don't don't be part of that problem either. Be be conscious and be more formal in these types of cases than you need to be until you're told not to. Yeah, and I'm so happy you brought it up. I was actually just about to like I was just about to say like you know it's it's one thing for me to sit here and talk about my experience, but it's very clearly like not the same for for everyone. It's a huge it's a huge problem, and I actually am like super thankful to a lot of people in our field that have talked 
and, and written very eloquently about this in the last couple of years. I mean, I, there's no question my perception of this problem has changed dramatically. Um, I, I'm not, I, I personally still introduce uh, myself as Dr. Spraker and then ask them to call me my first name. It's, it's, it's a, it's a preference, but I, but I actually um, am very careful about it because I, I do think that it's something that is, is not like, you know, and not everyone can do that the same. And I think, and, and that's really um, not, not good. And, and I think it's something that, that should be fixed, but um, so, so I do think that I, I hope that programs create an environment where it is um, very easy for people to be themselves and be respected as they should be. Um, but it is a, an excellent point that you like you, unfortunately, you just can't assume that that's going to be the case for every, for every program and every environment. So, so it is an important thing. And hopefully with more and more talking about this, people that are in a position to introduce residents or, you know, to patients or things like that really are cognizant of it and try to make it more normalized to, to be formal about things. Um, that's, that's really good. Um, and, uh, so the, the, um, we, there are a couple of other things that, that came up, I think are very practical. I don't want to keep this too, I don't want to be too philosophical about things, but, um, we all, you all mentioned talking to staff and things like that, but uh, a couple of people had mentioned, um, that things you can specifically do to help. So like one is you can tell the dosimetrist to call you, um, to review the plan before the attending reviews the plan. Um, that, that's actually one of the one of the challenges um, of, of of kind of engaging with the team. Um, I, I've specifically noticed things like onboard or sorry, like you know offline imaging review, like the daily imaging review, um, dosimetry plan review. Those, at least for us, are decentralized and entirely remote, and they're often uh, very time pressured, right? So, like you'll get a an email that a plan's ready and need to approve it in three minutes. Otherwise it's getting canceled the next day, that kind of a thing. So, so um, someone had said that, that you could basically insert yourself into that process. What about reviewing online offline imaging at the end of the day? That's something that I really struggle to include resonance with. Um, yeah. Do you have any advice there? I agree. We are attempting to start to build that into our dosimetry rotation where one of the tasks that the resident is supposed to do on their dosimetry rotation is spend like an hour with each attending doing offline review. And then we're also trying to um, come up with kind of a repository of cases that needed correction um, and doing that as kind of a lecture because I'm like you, like these have to be done within 24 hours. I'm usually doing it at the end of the work day when I'm totally fried. You know, I'm not in the mood to sit there and, and hash through each film with with my residents. So I do make a point of doing that in the middle of the day every now and then, but I just haven't found that it feels super feasible to do routinely. I'm curious about what other people do. Yeah. I know some people try to build it into their OTV, like on your OTV oh. day, like you review oh. the IGRT for that patient going back, which actually makes a lot of practical sense, but mm -hmm. is again, like it's, it's all like a timing issue all the time. Right. And so um, the other thing I, I'm, uh, that I think is really helpful is particularly is just sort of just ask if you can sit with them at the end of the, at the end of their day, you know, like almost all of us, I swear, like all of us end up doing IGRT, like either while I'm eating my lunch, yes. listening to tumor <laughs> board and I'm trying to kind of multitask or yeah. at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I have 40 films I need to get through. And I just trying to get home. Right. Um, yep. But if I know that the resident really wants to do that, like, and that that's something that they're focusing on. I'll sort of make a point of trying to be like, okay, like let's zoom at four o'clock and we're going to just run through as many as we can get through in that, you know, that this half an hour, and then I'll let you go and I'll just finish whatever I need to do or, or something like that. And then I think Christina's idea of like keeping a repository of rejected films is a great plan because 
sometimes you're kind of talking or I find myself talking to the residents and being like, yeah, you know, like prone breasts are not really reproducible. And, you know, there's like a tolerance level of when I'm going to shift or not shift, but I only have, you know, three of them to show you right now. And then I think that is that, that like concept kind of escapes if you don't have a practical image in front of you. Um, so I'm going to steal Christina's idea. <laughs> well, and I just wrote down your idea of trying to work it into OCD day. I will admit, like, I didn't really get any offline review training during residency. So I'm kind of self-taught and still somewhat insecure about like my method, I guess, uh, you know, so I, I do honestly get a little bit nervous about talking residents through it. Good. I do think oh. like IPRT is kind of it's kind of like plan review, right? Which is which is like build yourself a systematic approach yeah. and think about like applying that same systematic approach no matter you know no matter what you're doing. Um, that that is a really good thing to develop. Yeah. Yeah. To go to contours, I think one thing, and maybe it's obvious, maybe you guys do this, but um, instead of having the attending edit your contours, um, have them turn yours off and then do it. And they, they're not always going to do that or always have time for that. But then you can turn yours on and turn theirs on and see the differences and learn from that. Because it doesn't seem to stick to me when they just edit, like, go further to the sidewall, blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. try to, they'll be busy and not everyone's going to do that for you. But at the beginning, you're able to say that and be like, I, I really need to see how your prostate looks and what your landmarks are and what you're looking for. So I think that that's something that helped me as well as a nut, nuts and bolts type of thing. Then from the resident perspective too, you know, I think right there's kind of, you know, and I'm, I'm sure from the attending perspective, you know, it's, I agree the timing issue of kind of doing all of these things, right? A lot of it, especially now with the pandemic, you know, hopefully winding down, but still ongoing is that, right, a lot of it ends up being remote or kind of Zoom calls and right, we all have Zoom fatigue. We're all just trying to kind of, you know, again, kind of keeping that, you know, North Star is the patient care is the guide. You know, sometimes right, the best thing for the patient, especially if it's like a, you know, SBRT and they're on the table is you, you got to review it. But from the resident perspective, like even today, right, my attendee's like, oh, I got to go to the machine and was already walking and like, oh, I'm going to go with you because I need to learn how to do this. So, you know, and, and it's hard, especially early in residency, right, to to kind of take that initiative, but definitely the more I've learned like, oh, maybe this is maybe a little gap, I think in everyone's residency and maybe we don't get this training is to really be intentional about it. And so right at like the beginning of each rotation, especially my chief here, I've tried to say, okay, I'd really like to learn, you know, X, Y, Z. I've looked up, there's this like CB CHOP acronym for how to do plan review. I try and do as much independently. And then, yeah, what I'll do, I'll even like kind of prophylactically like copy my contours and do like a Z structure resonance. So then I, I already saved it. So whatever edits are made, I can go back and review it. So I think there's certain initiative you can do as a resident to kind of make sure you get that teaching. And then I'd also put a plug in for like the arrow, you know, meet me in treatment planning courses that are kind of, you know, webinar kind of based and, and those can be helpful, right? Especially like, right, I know one of our attendees here did one on um, Kyle Cunio on like cutaneous lymphoma, right? And we see a lot of that here, but you may not see it at other centers. And so um, just kind of helpful things of like specific, like treatment planning, positioning, kind of all of that multidisciplinary info that's kind of contained in like a nice webinar. Um, so that's another helpful resource for residents that might be looking for um, this idea of like how to kind of do all these extra things that you're expected to do as an attending, but maybe a little bit more limited, just mainly due to timing um, as in part of the formal training. And we're going to, we're actually going to talk a little bit about resources towards the end. And we'll actually put all these down in, in some notes for people to see. There's amazing resources. It's really like unbelievable. It's exploded in the last couple of years. 
Um, but it's really something you mentioned that's so important. So one of my favorite things that I used to do when I was a resident was tell the incoming, the PGY2s who are finishing, they're always like a little, a little crushed, like, cause it's, you know, it's PGY2 year is kind of rough. <laughs> Just like you, at the end of it, they're, you know, they're tired. And, but I, I always remind them there's nothing that makes you feel smarter than watching the new PGY2s come in as a PGY3. It's not like, I don't, I kind of said that in like a mean way, but you, it really, like you learn so much in a year, right? And then you, and you lose sight of, of how much you've learned. And then when you turn around and you do the little boot camp for the, for the people that are coming in and they're like, what's the DVH? And it's, it's just like, you learn so much about, about everything. And I think pacing yourself is really important because it's hard when you start, it's hard to believe you'll be a practicing radonk. But I, I, I mean, genuinely at the end of my PGY five year, I was like, I felt ready. Like, and, and you still learn when you start, but, but you, you will feel, it seems like universally, regardless of where they train, people do feel ready to like practice when, when they're done. So one, one thing I did want to talk a little bit about before we move on the last thing was about um, normalizing getting it wrong. So, so I notice a lot of the residents um, have have they struggle with confidence, right? And people just are afraid to get things wrong in front of colleagues. Um, I, I tell them they got to get used to it. Um, uh, it, especially by the time you start practicing, you you need to do mock orals practice, and that whole part is just getting stuff wrong in front of your friends as you like practice for mock orals. Um, so, so we taught. I think the one place that people see this the most maybe early on is at chart rounds. And, and we talked a little bit about how some chart rounds are gentle. Um, some are like you Chicago. <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't want to call them out, but they're kind of famous for having like very um, chart rounds where their residents are asked a lot of questions and they know uh, an amazing amount of data, I think because, partly, at least in part because of that um, and, and kind of what, uh, how people can start to do it, uh, getting things wrong in front of their colleagues, like just starting right from the beginning. Um, do you, do you all have advice on, on how to do that? No one wants. Oh, I, I, mean, I, I think it's just, <laughs> it's, it's making it through it a few times and realizing you're still, still alive afterwards. You're, you know, you're still yourself. <laughs> Everyone still respects you and, you know, watching other people go through it too. I think it affects different personalities to different extents. I think Is it, it yeah. oh, I was just going to say, I think to, I mean, there's definitely, I think, in medicine universally and, and maybe particularly in maybe high, you know, very technical fields like radiation oncology that really aren't covered in medical school much at all. I think there's this idea of like imposter syndrome, right? And I certainly went through this, but just as you said, Matt, like, I mean, I never would have thought this starting PGY two year and feeling like, whoa, I know nothing to now, you know, I do feel really ready to to see patients independently and kind of, am, you know, raring to go. But but yeah, definitely, you know, yeah, it, it's humbling, right? And that was kind of back to my initial point of like, I, I think it's a humbling experience. And I think, you know, um, but but yeah, as you said, Christian, I mean, it, it's never easy, but I think the important thing is knowing that, you know, we, we made it this far, right, to get to this point and that everyone goes through this to some degree and that it's part of the process of kind of getting things wrong. I mean, at some point, I never thought I knew the difference between all the RTOG numerical, like what's 0617, what's that? But then just the other day, right, I was talking to our medical student who was rotating and sending him CalGB 9343, quoting all these numbers. And like, I couldn't even, if I would have seen myself PGY two year doing that, I could have never seen myself do that. So I think it's just trusting the process. We all go through it. It is four years of, you know, intensive um, training in, in oncology, but that, you know, by the end of it, um, we'll get there. And so I think that's the important part of having a, a culture and like other residents to support you and kind of just always doing your best. And right, it's, 
and, and admitting when you have made a mistake. So I think that is important to own up to, right? And the whole kind of IRI report on to air is human and that it's actually really important when we recognize when a, when a mistake has been made and that we do our best effort, right? We have all the, I know, Matt, you're familiar with this, all the you know, Royals process, kind of looking at incident learning and all of that to, to just make sure we all learn from it and that ultimately kind of we, we do our best to support, you know, good patient care. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough, like, just um, this normalizing being wrong. It's, 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 it's easy to kind of say that it depends on your personality and your brittleness. Um, most of us, the median number in a residency is two, right, like per class. So <laughs> my class is me and a bi, and so he's the smart one and I'm the fun one. And that, <laughs> an unfortunate feeling that I've been, you know, that, that's how I was looking at him. A joke is still call him a by the book. You know, he knows everything. And it's hard. And it's, it's, not, it's not just as easy as saying like, gosh, I'm, I'm learning. I'll get there. But it's like every single day, they know more than me or something. You know, and it's just, it, it, it really gets on your, um, your ego because you were really smart. You, you got into Red Hawk and uh, you got into medical school and all that. And now suddenly there's just two of you and it's binary. Like they knew it and you didn't. And day after that day, that can become a, a feel like a, a tough feeling. And it does affect your mental health and your feelings about yourself. Um, and it's okay. Like you can, you can verbalize that to your friends or you can say that to people. It's not, it's not that you're ever going to be comfortable necessarily with being wrong, but just hopefully you can keep your eyes on the prize that you're going to get there. You're going to pass your boards. Every, almost everybody does. And you're going to be probably competent. Um, like, yeah, it's just, I, I still, I can still, I, I can go back to that place and that feeling and it wasn't great. It, it ties in so much to resident wellness, which we're going to talk about later, but, but I think everything you just said is super important. And I think all of us, you know, made it to two months, or at least I can vividly remember like PGY two year making it like two months into PGY2 and thinking to myself, like, would somebody please show up with like COPD exacerbation that I know how to handle? Because like all these cancers I've never even heard about are coming my direction. And you're like, I mean, I, there's so much. Um, so I, I think again, sort of normalizing the fact that all of us are, 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 you know, fairly type A overachievers that just generally, um, and it's, it's okay. But I think also you do have to give yourself again, sort of like mentally come up with a framework of how you learn best and start to build it together. And I think you have to, you have to, you have to acknowledge right up front and occasionally tell other people that, you know, hey, I'm a PGY2 and I'm not going to be able to quote RTOG performance status, you know, performance status differences between arm one and the, I don't know, right? It's okay. It's okay. Um, but I think sometimes kind of grounding people too and saying like, right now I'm focusing on general like oncology. Like I got to figure out what lung cancer means. And then I got to figure out this staging thing and then the anatomy, because as it turns out, I haven't thought about all of that in, in a while during my med school and intern year. And then you start to kind of build in the data pieces and the technical pieces and all of that. But you you can't get it all at once. It's it's, there's no way to make this instantaneous in terms of learning. And so again, I think like ground yourself as much as you possibly can. And occasionally like ground other people around you that, you know, Hey, this is where I'm at in my training. And like, I'll look up that study. I promise. But right now, like, I don't know it. And it's, it's, it's okay. And I, I swear every single pe person who's in this, if they're honest, is going to remember a day that they didn't know what RTOG was. 
And one thing that, that we've started here at the request of the residents, because they were, they were feeling this, that some attendings have the same expectation of a PGY2 as a PGY5 as far as knowing certain trials. And so we've now written it into the goals and objectives that like PGY2 and 3 should have read these trials by the end of their rotation and PGY4 and 5 should know these trials. So um, your program might not have goals and objectives kind of divvied out so specifically, but, but I, you know, some requests aren't reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and I think too, it gets to this idea of like, um, I guess in addition to what's been said, I would add um, the importance of having, you know, a support system and a life outside of work. Um, that was really helpful for me because I think I've some, I'm someone who I've always derived a lot of purpose and meaning from my work. And I think that actually was the most humbling and difficult part of residency, to be honest, thinking back was oh my gosh, like I really, yeah, this idea of kind of similar as you were talking about of really being mentally in a place where, wow, like I really don't know what's going on and, and kind of in the process of navigating that, deciding that, you know what, just as you're saying, Sarah, it's okay that I, and, and but it's hard, right, to tell yourself it's okay because for me, it's not okay unless it's like the best, right? And so for me, you know, I had to say, you know what, right now I'm going to focus on having dinner with my husband and then you're know, reading those trials essentially doing the very best I can and knowing I gave it my full effort but you know I'll be honest I mean lots of phone calls to you know parents you know husband friends uh, everyone going through it and I think maybe for me too the other normalizing process was realizing in, in friends and various other specialties too you know what residency is hard like it, it's hard to accept that and that you know, you will get through it and there will be many days, it's long hours, it's lots of work, because PGA to year, especially every single disease site, like every patient you're seeing, you're learning the paradigm for the first time, right? And especially right, some of our rotations, we don't have kind of site specific rotations. And so right, you might be seeing a sarcoma and a lung and a breast and a thorax and a, you know, so everything and you're just kind of like, whoa, what's going on? And so I think just, yeah, orienting yourself, being kind to yourself is tough, but, and then just, yeah, focusing on, you know what, if I used to drive like, the majority of my value from work, maybe shift that a little and think, okay, let's like make sure that you're happy and eating, sleeping, doing the basics. And then also you're then better able to take care of your patients too. Let's actually, let's actually go to that for a little bit, because I think it's, we're sort of naturally heading this way to talking a little bit about wellness, right? And, and we, we all love, we all love wellness. It, it's, it's not, we're going to talk uh, about modules. No, we're not, we're not going to do that. Um, but basically we're, I think what's a really nice thing to talk about is, is performative wellness versus practical steps to ensure that you're actually going to survive and live well. And it actually goes back to the last topic a little bit, because it's like, I'm sure it's all the same for you. When you go to your tumor boards or you meet colleagues or things like that, I don't think I've ever sat next to a colleague or across from a colleague and like revered in their like knowledge of the clinical trials. Like, yes, like we all have very smart colleagues, but what you actually really respect them for is the way that they interact with patients, the way that they have control of their career and their life, the way that they're achieving the goals that they love, um, those kinds of things. So I think that that's really, in my opinion, um, you know, it, certainly opinions can differ, but I think that's actually a, even a more important thing to learn as a resident is how to be a physician living a regular life as a human being, like, you know, and like not being like a robot that signs notes and fills out peer to peer paperwork all day. Like, I think that 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 would be that's something that's really important to do. So when I when I started, um, uh, you know, working, I, you know, I had, you um, you know, I, I was a confident person and I, and I definitely had some struggles with this because I was working very hard and doing a lot, like way too much. And then 
I noticed that it actually started to affect my work, right? And I saw it a little bit in residency too, where if you're exhausted or stressed about certain things, you become a less effective leader. You might argue with people over things that you don't need to argue about and stuff like that. Um, and actually still, you know, I still notice it today. And I, and I find that if you're not very intentional about preserving your wellness, it'll just erode away because it's like medicine just like tries to do that to everybody. So what are some, some practical things that people can actually do besides the wellness modules that you will inevitably be given uh, to actually make sure that you do well uh, throughout those four years and then into the rest of your life? Because it's going to always be something you need to kind of actively work on, I think, um, dur during, during your career. I think the wellness modules are fine and wellness events and, and resident wellness days are all great. Um, but I feel like there has to be, like you mentioned, more discussion of like the day to day. Um, you know, how are you feeling? How are you doing? How is your, your wife? And I, um, I, I feel like there's a lot of deconditioning to be done with people in medicine um, as far as how they um, define themselves and where they derive their self-worth. And so I try to work on that a lot with my residents, like as a group, but also on a one-on-one -on -one basis, because I think so many people in this field and a lot of fields in medicine, like you were valedictorian, you were a national merit scholar, then you were AOA or you weren't. Um, but you know, you've always been at the top and that, that just cannot be sustained. And at a certain point, you're going to do really terrible on an in-service or, you know, maybe not get the step score that you wanted, or, um, you know, maybe not do well on your um, rate X or whatever, there's going to be days where you just feel crushed because you, uh, you know, basically feel that your self identity has been attacked or, or demolished by some, uh, what you're perceiving as, as a failure. So I do, I try to do a lot of, I guess I would say counseling with my residents on like, okay, what is your goal on this test? And why is your goal so high? How are you going to feel if you aren't in the 80th percentile? And why do you care if you are in the 80th percentile? Um, you know, if they seem uh, off, you know, how's everything going? Is this because the abstract didn't get accepted? Like, you know, let's talk about that. Um, are we getting enough sleep? Um, I think it's important that people be aware of their own individuals, um, what might be their signs for when they're becoming stressed. Uh, stretch too thin. So Matt, you kind of talked about becoming irritable, um, not performing as well at work. So for some people, it might be you notice you're you you know having trouble sleeping or your appetite's off. Um, I think I, I just think knowing yourself and being honest with yourself and cueing into those things early and and taking care of yourself and having just having realistic expectations that make sense and aren't just there to support like ego structure that you've developed over the years. Um, I could go on and on and on about this. So someone else can start. Well, I love the, I love the, the um, just like signals that you're one, one in hindsight, but I just thought of this when you were talking is, is if people start to ask you if you're okay, like, 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 I'm like, like, the, I mean, this, this just happened to me a few, a few, you know, I had, I've had a very busy couple of months and I, and like my, my, uh, my administrative assistant wrote me and she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, why are we, why are you asking me? That? And, like, Shit. and then, you know, you realize that you, you probably should be sleeping more and you, it's visible to people. Right. So, right. yeah. 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 yeah, I think um, someone mentioned a little bit earlier, but like the identity of ourselves, especially during training is, 
Yeah. You're surrounded by doctors. You work so hard to get in your specialty. The people you interact with day to day are physicians as well. And you become, it becomes an over, overarching component of yourself and your identity. And I think that trouble, you know, that, that, that can be trouble because that is just one component of you. Maybe if there are some people that that's who they are. But um, it's just, you know, I watched that Ted Lasso recently, and there's a scene where the star player gets benched. And he's never been a non-starter since he was five years old or something like that. And he's in his mid-30s. And he's so sullen and his girlfriend's trying to cheer him up. And then she finally says, like, let's pull over your niece here and see what she thinks about you. Like, ask her what she thinks about you. And she says, oh, you're funny. You take me for ice cream. You know, you you have a stubbly beard or whatever. And, and, you know, to the people that love you in your life, very few of them is that doctor part of their version of you. Like, like my kids or my wife, like they think I'm funny. I cook really good meals for them. I'm a great travel buddy. Um, kind of dirty with my clothes and stuff, but you know, these, are, <laughs> uh, and that doctor part, yeah, that's what I do from eight to five. Uh, you know, for four days a week or whatever currently, but that isn't all me. And if that's all me, I need to work on myself a little bit more. And I think most of us, 95% of people are more than their profession. Um, And to keep that in mind during residency. Well, and I think that's one of the challenges though, right? Because I think it's, and I forget whether we talked about this or as another group, you know, maybe as a different group, but anyway, um, right, we kind of do all these things. Well, we are, you know, very interesting people, I I would hope, you know, they're going into medicine, we care about others, we're, you know, know, volunteering, doing sports, like doing all these other activities, right? And I feel like to some degree, whether it's the culture of medicine or just kind of the long hours or whatnot, that I feel like a lot of that gets contracted and right. A lot of it actually does become your identity is you're the physician, you're the, you're working, you know, whatever 80 hour work week, whatever. And, and I think, right. At least for me, I used to write relieve stress by like piano running kind of basketball, like all these various things. And then, right. What happens when you're okay. Just the basics like sleep and eating, that is the baseline and foundation. And hopefully you can do that. And then right there may not be, hopefully, right, eventually there will be time for these other things. But I think maybe that's part of this central struggle, or at least something I went through of like all these things I used to do to relieve stress and that were part of my kind of fun, you know, alter ego, other than being a a physician, somehow it does all get kind of condensed. And so I think something refreshing, I kind of alluded to this, like having a life outside of work. Also, yeah, even having friends or family outside of medicine, but then give perspective, right? Like I was recently at a friend's wedding and you know, a lot of people are not in medicine and even just talking about what I do, you know, kind of put perspective of, wow, like, okay, this is kind of cool, but also the, you know, the main, um, you know, contact Emma, who's a graphic designer, that's really cool too. And you kind of like, we, we get signed kind of in this bubble. And I think it's hard to write. And especially when that bubble is all people who know a lot more than you and are more senior in training. I think that contributes to this idea of like, you know, it, it's humbling, but also challenging. And so I think just breaking out of that from time to time can be refreshing. And I think it sounds like you talk to people a lot about that. And I think that's so important just to probably everybody's feeling the same way. And it just takes one person to kind of get the conversation started. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully then other people share their similar experiences within your resident group or, or whatever it is. Right. Oh, I guess one thing I'll add to, and I think we haven't really touched on this yet, but I think is so important is that I think also in oncology and especially radiation oncology, right? We talk to patients about really tough stuff 
all the time, every day. And not a lot of people do that, right? Like actually at the wedding, a lot of people ask me like, oh, that's so challenging. Like you're talking about cancer and dying all the time. And, and right, I tried to, you know, kind of turn the silver lining. Well, actually I'm, I'm able to like help people regardless of what spectrum they're on. But I think we kind of almost take for granted or, or maybe for the first time, because, you know, in, in kind of elsewhere in medicine, sure, there's lots of tough stuff, but cancer, I mean, that's a really special thing and, and challenging and vulnerable. And we, we have tissue boxes in every room, right? Patients may cry. That's a lot of like emotional traumas that we absorb. And I think we don't really necessarily have a good outlet for that, right? Like when our patients die of COVID, despite getting through 70 treatments of cancer, like then it's like, oh, why did that happen? Or like, we don't really have a good outlet for that. It's actually something that, that I kind of got started here and, and hope to continue elsewhere. So this idea of like, you know, reflection rounds or kind of having an outlet and a channel for talking about these difficult things, right, that we kind of hold within ourselves, And I think if they get pent up too much can kind of, you know, come out, right, Matt, as you were saying, is like irritability or anger, kind of frustration. And sometimes that's right. It's just anger at the injustice of it, right? Like seeing a 30-year-old with metastatic breast cancer. And it's like, why is someone younger than me, you know, dying of this, this disease? And so I think especially, right, um, that needs some sort of outlet and is healthy to talk about it, but we don't do it enough. It's a really good point. I think, um, yeah, no, that's that's actually a really good point. Just to, just to like I guess share a personal story is that I, I actually had, I thought I had like no issues with that at all in residency. Like I was like, you know, I'm I'm great, I'm confident, I'm doing smart, I'm really smart, I know you know everything. Patient, you know, this is obviously really sad, but I'm I'm fine. It's no big deal. And then I started working, and it it definitely changes a little bit because it becomes more of a personal responsibility. Like I think it's like you can be really engaged as a resident; it's just not quite the same. So I think that it's it's possible to um, to feel a little different as it, once you get to attending. But in the last couple of years, I you know I started seeing more um, patients that are you know I, I treat sarcoma, so I see a lot of patients my age um, and. And I had a couple of them in the last year where like one of them, I actually went back to my office and like cried for a couple of minutes and that like never happened to me before. Um, and I was, it, it just, because I think at some point you're probably just masking all, all of it. And it's really important to just like be, be cognizant of that. Um, I, you know, I, I was able to, um, you know, like it didn't turn into like a big disaster or anything, but I think it's important to pr- not feel like it can't affect you because eventually it probably, probably will. Um, so, um, so just to, just to kind of like add a couple of, uh, just to kind of bring this to more practical. So number one, I would say watch Ted Lasso for sure. Have you, have you all watched that? It is like, so I would tell, I would actually argue that just watching the show is, is wellness because it's actually the most inspiring, positive show. And it's, it's totally like a comedy that's written and it's not whatever, but the, the message is like, is phenomenal. And I, we just finished it, my wife and I, and I like was so like, it just made me so happy to watch it. Um, uh, so that's one thing. Um, but, but maybe more practical is to, is to just be very intentional about, about protecting your wellness. So, and what that means is, is, is protecting the things you value outside of work, making your identity, not only your job and, 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 and making time to, to kind of do the things that, you know, are important, like exercising, sleeping, sleeping is so important. Um, and then, and then all these, all these other things as well. One thing I wanted to ask, I, I know, uh, Sarah, I want to ask you this directly, because this was a good, good question that came up when we were all talking was, so how do you counsel your residents about, um, say they're going along, they're doing great protecting their wellness, and then they go on a rotation where the attending either the behavior or the expectations or both is a direct 
uh, assault on their wellness. Like it just makes it really hard to stick to this plan of like sleeping enough and doing all those things. So do you, do you have advice there on how to address that as a resident? Yeah, that, that one comes up, right? Like, and, and it's very challenging frequently. I think sometimes you can, um, you, you can try to uh, sort of navigate the expectation. So sometimes people will be like, let's review those contours tomorrow morning at seven. And you're like, it's currently 7.30 PM and I haven't eaten since yesterday at six. So, uh, so I think sometimes you can say like, yeah, hey, would it be okay if we looked at those contours later in the day because I have some free time tomorrow morning, I could work on it then. Or, hey, what, you know, when does that contour really need to be done? Or when do we really need to turn that over to dosimetry? Would it be okay if, and suggest something? And a lot of times they'll kind of go like, oh yeah, let me look at my calendar and I can move that, hopefully. Um, if they don't, and you're really like up against the wall and you feel like you're really frying out, I, I think you got to talk to your program director or talk to somebody else. And I mean, that's why we're here, right? Like part of our job is to help be an interface between resident expectation and faculty expectation, particularly when the two are very divergent from each other. Um, and I do think sometimes like, I, I don't know that people are so miss, you know, they're, they're not, I, I don't think they're necessarily, I think many people are not trying to be hard or not trying to like compromise your wellness. I think sometimes it's just sort of a like, hey, seven tomorrow works for me. And they're not thinking about you, right? Um, so sometimes just sort of talking to them and, and seeing like suggesting, <laughs> suggesting a later due date would maybe be helpful. But I also think you have to be super realistic, right? So if you say like, here, I don't have time to meet about this research project that I committed to you with, you know, to you right now because I'm on so-and-so service and I'm dying. Um, but here's my plan and let's set a meeting for this week. And by then my goal is to have X piece of this project done. Like that keeps you on track. That relieves the mentor part to feel like, yes, this project is gonna happen. Um, but it also gives you again, like a little bit of elasticity to deal with whatever you know, you're currently going through. And I, and I also think that like more residents now have kids than, than used to be in the, in the old days. Right. And sometimes you're kind of up against a faculty member who's like, when I was a resident, blah, blah, blah. You know, like I walked uphill both ways and we worked 400 hours a week and you're like, are there 400 hours in the week? Um, right. So, like, so, uh, so sometimes it's just sort of being able to, and I, and I don't use a family as an excuse, but I think everybody has a life, right. And we should encourage people to have lives. Clearly, we are better providers long term if we have lives um, and, and you can't like just put everything on pause for four years because you're a resident and then expect to be able to like pick up those friendships and pick up that family dynamic and pick up, you know, like uh, any of it. Um, and so I, I do think that there is a certain amount of like negotiation that can happen. And but I also say that the onus is a little bit on you to. Um, to try for that and try to suggest some things and see if, you know, you can steer the conversation in a way that works for you. And then if you really are struggling, I really, I, I don't know, Christina can, can pipe in, but I really feel like, like, that's a good thing to bring to your program director and say, like, I'm having a hard time navigating this. Do you have ideas? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah I'm I'm ideas. Oh yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that, like it, you know, I think to take that a little bit further, I would, I would say that it could be that you, that you know, there, that maybe 
it, it doesn't get resolved. Right. I mean, like, let's, let's just be realistic. Like there are going to be attendings that don't remember that they paid like nothing for med school and they got a free house and they grew up in IMRT area, you know, it was all easy. Right. And now, you know, like, like, you know, training in a pandemic, there's just things that are just harder for some people. And it might be that you may maybe don't come to that agreement. And, and I, and I would say that, that it's good. Like it's, it's just being realistic, right? Because there are going to be times when you might have a colleague that you just can't, like, you just can't reconcile. Um, so it's good to, to kind of be reflective and learn how to manage that. And then remember that all rotations come to an end eventually. Right? So it's like, so it's, yeah, yeah. But, but I think that was really good advice and sorry, Christina, you're going to say something. I didn't want to. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think just being open with your, with your program director and also again kind of talking about your co-residents on what was your experience on this service and if you identify a you know ongoing issue then it might be as simple as maybe we need to cap resident volume on this service because it's way beyond what's reasonable for a resident or um you know something like that yeah something that was said like the senior the senior residents often are really like again very helpful at being like hey um try this. Cause you know, that works when I was on that service or it's like, it, it, it's like a, I don't know how else to say it. there's like a pass down of knowledge, right. Yes. From, yes. you know, like they learned <laughs> from somebody who was ahead of them that like passed the oral history of your residency. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the, that's yeah, the part of sign out for the service. That's not yeah. written down. <laughs> that you're just talking yeah. on the phone. Hey, here's how to survive on this service. And yeah. I, I think too, right. Or sorry, just to maybe make a quick point from the resident perspective, something I found to be a successful strategy you know, working with various personalities and kind of work styles is to, as much as possible, set expectations up front so that there are no surprises. And, right, one of the things that I really, again, took a, you know, initiative really tried to do is if I could sense it, well, um, definitely at one point I asked for feedback kind of weekly, you know, if thing, depending on how things were going, but then, you know, and, and then maybe now not so much, but I, I think that, right, really like reassess, reassess, and then like try a different strategy if something's not working right or or, or that there are differences in, in expectations kind of, again, kind of getting back to your point, so reassessing the clinical need, I think it can be really hard just again from the resident perspective, especially as a PGY2 to say, hey, let's like not meet then because that's not reasonable, you know, like, like who am I to say that? But at the same time, right, especially if there's, let's say, multiple sims that happen the same day and the expectation is they're all done by 6 a.m., you know, maybe that doesn't need to be the case in terms of clinical priority. And so actually one strategy that was helpful is kind of sitting down, maybe again, setting the expectation up front or with the attending, that particular attending to say, hey, there's five sins that happened today, you know, which one should we prioritize? And then even early on to say, hey, you know, if they all need to be done by tomorrow, then maybe how can we make this work given that, you know, I need to eat and sleep and, you know, take care of my own life as well. But still, of course, trying to keep the, the patient priority at, at front and center too. We, we had a situation like that recently, and, and the attending's response was basically, this is a result of my own OCD, and I am happy to do whatever you're not able to get done by 7 p.m. or whatever, you know, so. Yeah, and I, and to be, one thing to just clarify, I'm guessing you meant when you say setting expectations, you meant actually receiving those expectations from the attending, not walking into their office in the first day. Yeah, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> you should not be saying that, but oh, you can oh, no. say like, like what Anna said, like, which is, which is sort of a, like, help me triage this, yeah. right? Like, yeah. here's the things at the end of the day. And, and I know that we want to get, you know, like you're, you want to meet with me at nine, help me triage, like what things are we trying to get done by nine and which things can wait or, or like are, are all of this here. And, and sometimes just that kind of like, they'll go, oh yeah, like that list. And then they'll kind of 
help you bump things out, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but no, you're totally right. Like, please, please, as a PGY2, do not walk into your attending's office on your first rotation oh, and no. be like, I'll have those contours for you next Tuesday because I got volleyball. You just generated a very interesting oral history of the rotation. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, now I want to know. Now I want to know what what mine is the the oral history of my rotation. <laughs> um, so so I do want to pivot a little bit because this is this has been really good, and I'm sure we could talk about this for hours. And you, everyone's probably gathering that working on wellness is probably a lifelong skill, right? You just got to always work on it because it's just, it's hard. Um, and, and so, so I want to talk a little bit about a term that I'm stealing from Twitter called careerism. Um, this, this is floating around a little bit. Um, and it, and it's, uh, the other kind of note that we had here was managing expectations for success. So I know that, uh, some of you talked about this, uh, a, a little bit in the beginning, but we, I would argue that we grow up in a system that has a very biased view of what it means to be successful, right? Because of, I mean, we could talk for hours about whether this is the right thing or the wrong thing, but the focus on standardized testing, the focus on grades, everyone in our field is a high achiever for their entire life. You know, sometimes in multiple areas of your life, you're a really good athlete, you're a great academic. And so you need to, and then my guess is that probably most people get to career or like attending hood. And, and they're like, why did I care about that stuff? Because it's no longer that important. Um, because again, like you go to tumor board nobody talks about what their step score was. Everyone's just like, you know, you respect people for much different reasons. So what is it that, um, well, let's actually start with, with some, um, what, what is it that you, that you would give advice to, um, a, a first year resident thinking about where they want to go with their career, they're, they're now starting. I mean, residency is the start of your career. So, so what would you say to them? It's, it's so easy, to, not so easy, but it's much easier 11 years out to be able to think through this. And, and it's just, it's hard because at the time there was a certain way you had to be, to be a red on resident. You had to have those scores and you had to generate these publications and it, led to a certain type of student, whether or not that's who they were, that's who they became. <clears throat> and so, you know, I'll get to your question for a second, but I'm just for the history of this. And so now you see residents and they have 25 publications before they start residency. They have another 30 <laughs> during residency. I mean, this is not an average, but these are might be some high, high, high published people. You know, there's a resident graduate a couple of years ago, with over 200 publications. And, you know, to what end uh, were they doing it? Um, who's tracking this? Is it changing the world? Is it making cancer care better in any meaningful way? And we're taking on these projects for what reasons? It's not improving cancer care, right? It's, it's to make your attending happy. It's to pad your resume and make it longer so when you apply for an academic job, you are more competitive. It's to get somewhere that really wasn't your intention in the first place. Nobody finished undergrad and said, God, I want to go to medical school and residency so I can have the longest CV available. And I, I, I talked to PGY fours and fives, you know, I'm friends with a lot of them and they, I see them like grinding away these projects. And I'm wondering like, what, why are you doing it? And some of them I know well enough to be like, no, no, really, why are you doing this? Dr. So-and-so asked me to do it. Is that a good reason to do anything anymore? Right. Like we just, I mean, to, to go broad, like we just went through a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic and we're talking about publications, you know, like we're, 
where you're talking about how many publications you can get and whether or not that's going to improve your career. Like it's, there has to be a massive reset. And I think part of, you know, me and you and Anna have talked about this, like forget the journals, write something interesting, put it out there. There's so many ways to do it. Um, I did it on medium with my little thing. Me and Todd did that. You can be on Twitter. You can be on Facebook. You can write things and pass around your department. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't care. I'm hiring people. Like now I'm in charge of hiring people. I literally don't get to that page. I don't even get to it. I look at the first page of the, of the CD. What have you done? What have you treated? What can you treat? What do you like to do? Where, where are you from? Like, do you want to come to Tacoma? (laughs) You know, like it's really far from everything else, you know? And so I need to know these things. Um, So, you know, I think we talked about when our, in our prep session, it was just like, I think this, hopefully people listen to this and get a chance to really reevaluate their goals when they're PGY too. Like, I want to be a community practice doctor outside of a major city in this region of the country. What do I need to do to get there? And if doing NCDB database retrospectives is not going to help you get there, then you probably have to take that hard first step and say, hey, Dr. So-and-so, I just don't see the value in this. Is there something else I can do that would fit in with what I want to get out of this? Because I just want to be a really good doctor. And I'm not getting the idea that doing this retrospective analysis is going to make me a better doctor. So I think that the career, like that word has become so charged. And for me, it is very negative. I, I use it as a, I wield it as an insult. But we should be careerist in that we want good, productive, happy careers. And what does it take to get there? Like, what could I have done? Um, I could have taken a public speaking course. I would have been a lot better at that. I think I would have, I would have, um, been more comfortable at tumor board. I could have, uh, taken a couple of managing conflict courses through the community college or through the business school. I could have tried to learn how to look at a assets and liabilities, uh, sheet because that I have to do for my new job. And so we really have to think about it and maybe you have to ask mentors and ask people older, but you know, call me, just say, Hey, similar, you're 10 years out. What do you, what do you want? Instead they're asking a guy who's never, or a woman who's never left the tower about what they should do to be a successful red on. And literally they don't, they have no idea. You know, they, they, they don't have any idea of what it takes to be a successful red on in the community. And that's end rant. <laughs> well, Sorry. I, I was, I wasn't laughing at your rant. I was laughing at the little hands. Well, it added that, really. It added some authenticity. <laughs> what you said. I, I want to say one thing before I okay. before I let everyone else talk. I I, I do want to um, just so we don't get, we don't get a bunch of like you know Twitter pitchforks like you know running us out of town. I, I do think that um, what's really important to this discussion is that there actually are are you know different ways to be successful in radiation oncology, right? So so one of that way, one of the ways is, that's very narrow that we a lot of us get huge exposure to is is academic success right so so it, that that is a valid way to kind of go forward um I, I do that so like that's you know that's something that that i think is is valid but i think the the key point that you're trying to make is that's not valid for everyone and actually you could you if you look at the data it's actually not valid for most most radiation oncologists right because most of them go off and, and do community practice where where some of these things are not as important so so um uh, uh so just to like make just to set the playing field there and, and just know that we're not like kind of making comments about what's right and what's wrong it's just yeah. it's, broad, it's not a value judgment yeah. but it's it's like yeah. truly is this 
even for what you're doing, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you're probably doing that you don't love as well. And, you know, again, it's your junior faculty. It's yeah. not. We have different, po- we have different podcasts for that. We'll, we'll be, we'll yeah. be over that stuff later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I think what's interesting to you, right. And I guess for me right now, kind of being at the cusp of, you know, between kind of my academic, I guess, you know, career thus far, and then what I'm about to, you know, start with a, a, pra- a private practice group in Wisconsin. But I think for me, I kind of went through this like existential thought of like, you know, what I had always defined as success was the academics, because that's what I had been exposed to, you know, from medical school at Duke and then training here at Michigan. But I think that, um, right, that, that it's perfectly valid and okay to have like other models of success. And also, right, that that um, kind of how we define scholarly achievement. I think that's another thing that we really wanted to talk about, you know, with this with this podcast is that and, and kind of this idea of, you know, um, that, you know, journal publications, that's one avenue. And, and certainly, if that's kind of the, the mode um, for, you know, kind of telling the world about some sort of, you know, large scientific efforts or clinical trials, and certainly that's a channel. But on the other hand, there's like many other channels, right? And in particular things like just, you know, Simon, as you said, the, you know, business aspects, you know, leading a medical organization, inspiring people to help treat patients to the best of their ability, um, managing all of these, you know, billing, insurance, you know, prior authorization, like I'm involved in the AMA advocacy, health policy, how can we, you know, fix things kind of from the top level of like the regulatory aspect and then make the pathway easier for everyone, you know, downstream and also address things like diversity, equity. I know we'll talk about those as at some point as well, but I think, right, there's many ways that we can make an impact and and scientific inquiry and achievement that's certainly needed, but at the same time, that's not the definition of success for everyone. And so certainly, for me, it's been, a, it's been, a, I'd say, an ongoing process, and I'm still kind of figuring that out. And, and to some degree, right, we all are. And it's not to say that PGY2, you're going to walk in and say, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do. You know, for me, right, it was literally when I was evaluating contract offers, what am I going to do? You know, what's my pathway? And, and I think it still remains to be defined, right? And so I think that, um, but, but I think maybe even, in, and I'd love to hear from and Christine and Sarah about this in, in terms of like from the program director standpoint, like how can you um, support residents through that process? Because I think to some degree it is kind of an existential process. And, and I think kind of it harkens back to like this idea of right, people are used to being very high achieving and at the top, but kind of what does that mean and, and what does success mean? And at least for me, what I've really found that grounded me was um, patient care. And really like if I do my best for the patient and they say, thank you, and I know I did the very best for them, that is a success, right? And that will always be a success regardless of whatever else I achieve. So one th- so just because we're getting lengthy here, I want to just ask very practically to our two program directors, Christina and Sarah. So, you know, you're, you're very obviously doing residency in an academic center, right? So how, how is it that you start to pursue a broad range of career options when everyone around you is academic, right? And and I would argue that just being honest, like some centers, they want people to go into academics versus not. So um, how do you address that practically as, a, as an incoming resident um, in your in your programs? So all of my residents do an individualized learning plan starting their first year or their PGY2 year. And one of the things on that is, do you yet know what your career dream is? Is it basically academic or, or non-academic and we start going trying to go down that path early and you know the ACGME requirements I, I think are that you have to have done something suitable suitable for submission somewhere by the end of your residency so it's a pretty 
low bar. Um, and so if, you know, if someone's not interested in going into academics, which I, I have residents like that, I try to connect them with graduates that we have that are in community practices um, who are happy, who are, are doing great, who have been successful um, and, you know, get them their one requisite project. And some of them want to do more. I have people that want to go into private practice that also love doing research. So kind of honing in on, on, you know, what their priorities are and, and respecting them. I also think it's important to reassess that a lot. Like mm -hmm. I, I still feel like I sometimes wake up and wonder what I want to be when I grow up. Right. Absolutely. Like yeah. I think that it, it's not, I remember as a resident thinking it was going to be like a very binary decision. Like I'm going to do this or I'm going to do this. Um, or even like, if you say, I want to go into academics, man, there's a lot of different models of academics. Like, what is it that you were excited about for academics? Like for me, I, I clearly like teaching, right? Like I like the education aspect. I'm probably, you know, I'll, I'll be honest a little bit more than I like to do research or, you know, like I've, I've sort of stepped or I've, 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 I've made decisions along the way that have said like, my passion lies here and I have X amount of hours in my day, I'm gonna put my time where my passion lies and I'm gonna let some things go because they, they don't, they're not as fulfilling for me personally. Um, but, I, but I do think that that has shifted a lot over the years. And the other thing that I would say is, is um, like to Christina's point, when I talk to the residents, I often say like, okay, tell me about what your goals are. What is getting you excited about the idea of community practice? What is getting you excited about the idea of academic medicine? And that really is actually very elucidating to kind of walk through like, what are the components that you're most excited about? Because sometimes it actually isn't the same. Like I, I probably taught more medical students in private practice than I do in my current position at the university, just because of the way that, you know, the way that that practice was. So I think sometimes you have this mental idea that like these decisions are going to be very divisionary. And I don't think that there's as much of that. Um, but I agree with Christina. Like I try really hard to say like, okay, um, talk to some people. We're fortunate in our program that we have a couple people who like did some private practice, then came back to academic medicine. So that's, that's nice. It's like built in, but that wasn't, that's not the case in many residency programs, in which case everybody has a friend, right? Like Radonk is a really small field in, in, in real life. And almost all of us have a co-resident who's in a, you know, they love their practice in wherever, um, and some other resident who's doing something totally unrelated to medicine now, like they're, they're doing something totally, I never even thought of. They're doing like FDA drug development. And I'm like, what is that? You know, like everybody's got something cool. Um, people have gotten MBAs, people have done, you know, they've, they've done palliative care fellowships and they have like this hybrid service and it's neat. Um, so I, I think sort of reaching out and being honest enough to say like, I'm kind of, I need to feel this out. Like who can I talk to and get some feelers out um, is actually really, really healthy um, because you, you do sort of get a self-selected model, right? Like we clearly like academic medicine, we're in it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but there are other models that might be the right thing for you. And then the other thing that I am kind of making a, a push for is, um, at least in, in my personal program, is, is sort of a cultural shift of uh, no longer calling it the research block. Um, because actually I'm, I'm like, I'm rebranding it, the professional development block. And I'm doing that intentionally. It's like the palliative care versus supportive care thing, right? Like I'm sticking a label on it. It's the same amount of time. But if you, if you really 
that is not your goal. Like research isn't going to help you get to what is professionally fulfilling for you. But doing some online business classes and a stats class or, you know, something like that is going to get you there. Like, let's talk about that. Let's build something that makes sense for you. If it makes sense for you because like palliative care is your passion and you love that, then like, let's find a way that you can do some palliative care time and you can build that skill set and you're going to take that forward with you. You're going to be a great addition to the radiation oncology field. You're going to love what you do, right? You're going to impact cancer patients. Fantastic support it, right? Like there, there is some flexibility. And I think part of that is everybody's got to be willing to acknowledge that there is a lot of diversity about what people want to do when they grow up. Um, and we should all sort of support that. And, and frankly, I hope that, you know, 10 years from now, when I'm kind of thinking like, oh, I'm, I want something different in my career that I'm still like willing to be like, okay, like I'm going to learn something new. I'm going to go back and do some other program because like, I think it'd be interesting to learn something new and, and add something different to what I'm doing. You know, maybe I'm going to get excited about health disparities and I'm going to want to go back and I'm going to want to learn this piece and I'm going to build it into what I do. Like there's, there's just so much of that out there. That was so inspiring. I want to come and be your resident. <laughs> I can change my life. Now, that was that was really that was, that was actually really that's really really great advice. And I think that um, at, at, first of all, I'm going to go ahead and suggest that uh, that every program changes their research block to a different. I already level. wrote it down. That's a fa- yeah. Here we are. We're making residency better on a podcast. Uh, but that's a that's actually a fantastic idea because it's you know I mean we we talk well I don't want to get too deep on this topic. We talk about about how language matters a lot. Right. So, so I think it, it, it is actually a really important thing. And that's a, a fantastic, really small change you can make to really drive that point home. Um, but really great advice. Before we move on to the last, time, I want to just take a quick poll. And unfortunately, and I think you won't be able to answer this yet, but of the people who are working right now, you, I'll come back and ask you next year, but how many of you are doing exactly what you thought you were going to be doing and during, like, say like as a PGY three, like when you look back and think about what you thought you were going to be doing, anyone? Actually, am like cancer right out the gate. I was like, this is what I want to do. I don't want to leave Oklahoma, and and here I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's. I know I'm unique. No, but I think it's a really, it's, it's kind of an illustrative point, right? So, so 25% in our small sample, let's go ahead and extrapolate that to the entire, to the entire <laughs> country. But yeah, but, but it's, it's, you know, it's, you hear this all the time, even from people who, you know, who are like academic and like, you know, think everyone should do that. Like even inside academics, they're not doing what they sometimes even were hired to do, right? You like were hired to do something and then a couple of years pass and opportunities open up. That certainly happened to me as well. And, and I think that it's really um, um, an important thing to remember because at the end of the day, you could, all you can do is just think about what is right for you and what you want to achieve. And what we've all said from the beginning is everyone is a high achiever, right? So there's really nothing that people can't do. Um, and I think that no matter what people want to do, they, they could be an excellent addition to the field and, and more diversity, I think, in our field of, especially just the way that medicine's going, I think it makes us a much, much stronger field. Um, I, the, the, the last thing I wanted to touch on very quickly is resources. So um, the game has changed. That There's no question. Um, I, I'm, I'm not even out that long and it's like night and day for what's available to residents to learn. I think it's a really good thing for programs that are, especially for programs that are smaller or newer, um, where there's just less of a of like kind of history there. 
Um, and, and so I wonder if maybe um, we're going to post a list of things that people should definitely be aware of. Um, but I wonder if maybe each of us can mention one of the resources. I'm going to go first because I have one that I want <laughs> that I wanted to take for myself is, is actually Roxig. So, so it was brought up a couple of times and as part of the board, Roxig is a really special thing. Um, it's so it's R O E C S G, right? I think hopefully. Yep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I always mix it up, but it's basically an organization and they have a conference once a year and they, they just really generate a lot of very interesting work. And it's, it's, I think it, it, it started with, with Dan Golden, who um, was, was actually chief resident at U Chicago when I rotated as a med student. And even then was like really a fantastic teacher and super um, really uh, very, very um, enthusiastic about education um, and, and that conference by itself. So it's, it's not like going to help you, I guess, learn radiation oncology that much, but a lot of the products of it will, but that conference is just an incredible culture. So I strongly suggest that people go because it's super friendly and inclusive and it's very easy to, to meet people there, um, it, it, even virtually. Um, and then it's, it's become kind of like one of these, like, um, like Apple events of like educational stuff. Like every year there's like amazing <laughs> stuff coming out of Roxy. So I've become like getting excited about like a big reveal. Yeah. Yeah. Like people <laughs> reveal these, these cool projects every year and then, and then they happen. And then, um, and then, and then it's, you know, it's really just a cool thing. So that's my, my plug for the educational resource that every resident should definitely be aware of. Um, let's just go around and, and hear four more. Big uh, MedNet supporter. The MedNet is a question and answer forum, essentially, where you can post a question. It could be community people like me or um, academic people that are at the top of their game posting questions or residents who are trying to learn more. And then the answers you get can be very, very good answers that are evidence-based, linked to the relevant articles, uh, also can have personal experience. Um, interesting. I mean, you see the great answers by guys like Dan Spratt or um, Dr. Bearwell. Chris Crane has great answers, but one of my favorite people I follow, he doesn't seem to write it uh, write as much anymore. I, I'm blanking on his name, but he's at the Bronx VA and his answers are practical and they're like, how to do this? Oh, Dr. Dawson, Dr. George Dawson, he's at the Bronx VA. And when I read his answers, I'm like, okay, this is a guy that's been doing this for 40 years probably that knows like this weird situation, he's come across it and there's no literature on it. And this is how he handles it. And I, I just, I get so much out of an answer like that. Um, I think we all should be using it no matter what stage of your career, <clears throat> the MedNet's one of the greatest things out there, I would say. I do also love that on MedNet, you see like the spectrum, right? Because is it some, sometimes like you treat things one way where you trained, um, but there's like a whole host of other ways of doing that that are also correct. And that's really hard to get a handle on as a resident, I feel like. Um, but MedNet is a great place for that kind of learning, which is, you know, sort of like, man, four different attendings answered this question and they actually all sort of had a different dose fractionation scheme and all of it seemed pretty reasonable to me and they all had a dose constraint. And like, it's kind of nice to be able to be like, well, that's really good. Cause I'm going to tuck that in my pocket because if I have this patient who needs to get done faster, needs to get done, you know, we, like whatever the situation is, like knowing what the spectrum of acceptable is, is great from that. that. And knowing that the attending that taught you what they do is not the... <laughs> It's not the right, not always the right way, right? Because right. dogma is a thing, but we'll, we'll we'll talk about that some other it's time. It's a right yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully. Yeah. 
And then I guess from the, well, super quick on the amendment, but then for the other resource, um, so the, the amendment, I mean, evenly really specific questions like sulfate allergy, what to do instead of, you know, um, silvadine, you know, for like a breast patient that came out recently. And I, I like, you know, sent my attention, here's the amendment discussion. So it's, you know, it's helpful, um, very specific, you know, questions that you're not going to find anywhere else. Um, kind of clinic, yeah, clinical experience, or even summarizing the literature, right? Like, I think, I think, yeah, maybe Dan Brown or someone had summarized, like, here's all you need to know about, like, you know, nodal radiation for prostate, and it's like all right there, right? Um, but I guess in terms of other research, just super quick, um, the ARO resources, ARRO lectures, in particular, like the radiation biology and physics, super, super helpful, you know, probably single-handedly, you know, help me pass my, you know, physics rad bio exams, because, I mean, those lectures, right, they're, like, really comprehensive. Um, Gail Woloszek, I think, has, like, this whole comprehensive series of rad bio, watch, you know, watch and listen to those so many times, and and also Arrow in general has, like, the meet me and treatment planning things, and, and kind of these various, I think, like, Arrow cases, and so as a resident, definitely subscribe to, like, the Arrowgram to get all those updates, because it's it's very helpful, and they spend a lot of work doing that, but also, you know, it, it's really great, and there's a number of um, things as well. I think um, uh, Gabby Walsh is working on, like, a hi-fi uh, physics lectures as well that will ultimately be on that, so, so a great repository, um, certainly, for those resources, too. Mine is quick, but I'm a big eContour fan, um, when you are a PGY2 and you're asked to contour V2 to the skull base, um, that is like the only place that you need to be <laughs> going to figure that out. Did you, did you all, just before we, did you all use Nancy Lee's book to learn contours like in residency? Was that, it's, yeah. Yeah, no, that, no, was the, that was the theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, 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 we like to joke that she, you know, I, I she's never met me. Like, I, I'm sure she has no idea who I am, but she kind of taught me how to contour head and neck. So yeah. it's sort of, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, but e-contour is, is fantastic. So um, that, that group is really amazing and they're doing some cool stuff as well that we'll probably hear about pretty soon. Uh, Sarah, oh, wait. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah Sarah, I'm, you should go because I've already done mine, but I've got so many, but I'll put them on the website. I mean, there's so many of them, right? Like, yeah. that's, that's yeah. the cool thing now. Like, none of these, I, I feel like, e-anatomy was like new when I was a resident and I was like in love with e-anatomy because you could just kind of be like where is this thing or how do I trace that nerve right like those kinds of things that was really great but I feel like now um radonc tables is sometimes like a good quick and dirty reference when you're sort of trying to be like oh I've got this topic in didactic series tomorrow like I need to kind of get a high level overview like I, I feel like radonc tables is nice that way um, but my, my personal favorite thing is, is quad shot probably because it's like this distilled news thing that hits my email inbox and sort of like gets me, gets me excited about like whatever is just coming out or, um, I don't know. I like quad shot a lot. Like it's like easily digestible and I can read it quick. Um, but I, but I sort of feel like I'm keeping a little bit more up, I guess. And then there's like celebrity status if you're on quad shot or your attendings on there, then it's the talk of yes. the town for like the morning. You're like, I'm on quad shot or like my attendance is on quad shot. It's the best. Yeah. yeah, I made it twice. I'm going for the hat yeah. Are you? Oh man, I've been in there once. I was so excited when I saw my thing in quad shot. I was like, oh man, I was so that, I, yeah, that group is awesome. And um, I have to do yeah. a super quick final round on questions. Also probably, oh, yeah. you know, attribute that to passing my clinical boards because it's like, you know, that one, it's like, it's what very well referenced. I think also a Dan Golden special that it's like, you know, very well referenced and there's editors, new site editors, and then it's just a really comprehensive repository of questions. And so hopefully programs can pay for it. But otherwise, I think like I did, I used my GME funding from PGY2 and just paid for, you know, four years, whatever, to just get all of this. 
Super, yeah, it's like you. Uh, what do they call it? U U World U S M. Yeah, it's like the U World of Radon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, you will eventually get far enough along that you'll forget about it. And then, <laughs> but um, and then you're it, dating me. I've never heard of these things. <laughs> Are you really? Oh, well, we'll move on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I, I remember that you uh that and you also mentioned CB Chop at the beginning of the of the yes. hour and um mm-hmm. and that's a really nice thing too. And we'll post all of this for people to to kind of look. CB Chop is a standardized way to review radiation plans. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's really helpful. Last quick thing. Um, we, so I just want to mention it. We're not going to go into detail because we're going to finish up here. Um, but the, we talked about an unmet need that actually is, is still an unmet need. And I continue to see it as just, um, there's no formal way to connect with people for doing oral board studying. Um, and I feel like it's probably a real challenge if you're maybe at a smaller program or a class of one or two, it's like, who do you study with? Um, or especially if you're a class of one or two and then you end up in a job where you're the only radonc or the one of two or like one radonc with someone who's like, you know, 77 years old and didn't, didn't do boards because they didn't have it at the time. <laughs> Sorry, that was mean. But but I think but I but but um, it's it's a challenge. And I guess I would just say the way to remedy it right now is just reach out to people like you mentioned before. It's a very friendly, small, close knit field. So I'll just say reach out to any of us on Twitter where we'd be more than happy to connect people uh, with other people to try to help uh, study. And, and some, you know, there's, we, we all know a, a fair amount of people kind of collectively. So it'd be, it'd be an easy way to kind of help with that. All right. The last topic we, <laughs> similar, I think you named this the cone down, right? This is going to be our little section where we cool off and talk a little bit about, about, you know, kind of something just to close it out. So let's close out today with our wellness topic. So what is the favorite thing that you like to do outside of work? And we agreed together that we're not going to be like, we like to volunteer and, you know, something that's not um, resume building. So what do you like to do? uh, That's, that's just for fun. Um, Anyone can go, we'll just go around. Can I go first? Yes. Um, I love basketball. And so um, this is something that's kind of one of those like little known facts. Um, when, when we do like our introduction to the department, like at the beginning there, we stand up in front of like 50 people. And then, um, yeah. So anyway, so basketball is my passion. Coach K is retiring, unfortunately, from Duke, but he still has one season left. And then I actually play basketball. So little known fact uh, was the point guard for Cambridge and led us to victory against Oxford many years ago. Wow. But. <laughs> that's awesome yeah, that's that's <laughs> next person <laughs> anybody i actually really like baking which is like i actually really like baking i used to say that i like hiking which i really still love but i have three little kids and i very rarely make it longer than like 100 feet from a parking lot it feels like <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> that's going to get better with time. Uh, but I do really like baking and like the more complicated, the better in many ways. So I have to tell the story my, my, my now six-year-old, when I was talking, it's like a big deal for birthday cakes in our family. Like you get to pick what your birthday cake is going to be. And it's, it's like a show. Right. Um, so last year I made him like a whole cake that had like hand poured Batman cut. <laughs> Um, so this year he's talking to me and I, I realized that maybe my baking thing had gone a little too far. Cause he's like, mom, I want the chocolate cake with the cherry filling and the chocolate ganache over the top of the whipped cream. <laughs> like, and he like had this whole thing in his head. And I was like, like a wedding you're, cake. You're five <laughs> technically. And you're talking to me about a chocolate ganache topping. Like clearly we maybe have some issues here, but like, um, I actually find it super therapeutic to be like, yeah, like let's bake something. And it's, it's just like, I, I go totally off recipe almost all the time, which most bakers yeah. are like, what can you do with that? And I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> substitute in this and try that thing. And, um, it's actually really fun for me. 
I want to, I want to jump in really quick. So I was one of the people that like everyone that like started like doing baking during pandemic kind of lockdown. Yeah, I, you sourdough. I did sourdough. And before, and and I would you know it is very very therapeutic. And and right now my my career I, I probably I guess I shouldn't because maybe someone from work will listen to this. But my career <laughs> goal is actually to take like an old school sabbatical and go it's and go to like France and like work in a bakery for a year or something. Um, that's, that's my, uh, that's not a a short-term dream just for the people who are listening that might employ me, but, but that's, um, but that's something that that I think would be like really cool to do. And it's, it's just to do something totally different. Like that would be a lot of fun. So, um, Christina, what's what's your, uh, what's your, your, So my like normal hobbies are pretty boring, like yoga, running, cooking, reading, like normal, you know, elderly person activities. Um, but I love going to concerts, which I know we've talked about. And I've been thinking about what was my favorite concert that I've ever been to. And I, I wonder if anyone else caught this tour. Oh, and sophomore year of high school for me, but Red Hot Chili Peppers. And guess who the opening act was? Snoop Dogg. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. It was the wow. best concert ever oh, on the floor. That's yeah. a dream of mine to see him. That's amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. That's really, wow. That's like, that's awesome. I've never it seen it. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. This year we're going to see um, St. Vincent is coming to Oklahoma City. Um, I think after they go to ACL and we're going to see the Michigan Rattlers, which is like a bluegrass band. And then the Food Fighters are also coming to Oklahoma City. So. Yeah. So the St. Vincent, the new album is awesome. I'm like, I was listening to it the other day. We saw her with, um, do you know, she, so she did an album with David Byrne. I don't know if you like, yeah. So we saw that and he's very like theatrical. So it's more, it's kind of like almost like a show because they have choreography and all that kind of stuff, but it's, but it, it, that was just, it's really awesome. So I'm going to try to catch her this year as well. I think it'd be great. All right. So let's hear what your, your activity is. Excuse me. I, I love cooking. Um, that's I've been doing that for years. Uh, before this guy came, the second one, we were starting our catering business, and so we got on next door and asked, you know, any of the neighbors, you know, this is our menu and this is what we're going to do. And oh, other ones joining us now. Um, and so we made a menu and a story about our menu and the ingredients we used, and then also like for the main dish, like send the recipe just so they can know how to make it. And it was, you know, the first time we did it, it was, it was a really good, it was a big success. Plus, you know, COVID's happening and people are kind of want something new. And so they would just come up and we scheduled pickup times at the house of the orders. And um, we did it a second time. And then literally two days later, the second boy was born and we have had to pause that. But I really missed that one. My birthday present was, was a chef's jacket, like a French style chef's jacket. It has That's, my awesome. Name. That's awesome. Yeah. And so I like baking as well. I'm not that good at it, but I'm trying to do it more. Um, so, uh, have you heard of Stella Parks who wrote yeah. Brave Tart? Yeah. That baking book is really great. I really enjoy that one. 
Yeah. So you have it. So everyone, all everyone's an amazing doctor, and they all do other stuff because we are all are healthy. And we, <laughs> we, we have, no, this really, is really. We should all get together in person and have a really nice meal. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. Or a Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Astro twenty twenty competition. We'll rent, we'll rent an Airbnb kitchen, and we'll just like have a bake off, and we can. Eat food and we uh yeah I can I can share mine really I think I probably I don't know if I shared the trip either but I'll I'll just go with the the hobby so and this was something that I actually like really worked hard on the last couple of years because I, I think it's important to bring your hobbies back after med school decimates them so so I I think um so I I, uh, I bought a drum set like an electric drum set um one because the electric ones are much quieter and I don't want my wife to leave me so I, I bought the electric one and um and I started playing again and we and I actually like over the my I have friends that live in um one lives in New York one lives in Chicago uh, two, two live in Chicago, one lives in Atlanta. Um, and we made this little like virtual band where we like would pass the garage band files back and forth and like make these songs. And, um, they're really silly. One of them was about, uh, like when everyone was fighting over toilet paper, like in the very beginning <laughs> of the pandemic and, and, and like wet wipes and stuff. And, and it was really, uh, it's, it's been really fun. We can still do it a little bit. Things get busy. So it's hard to kind of stay up with it as much as, you know, everyone wants to, but it's, I think that's something that, that I like to do outside of work. That's not related to work at all. And it, and it feels really good to like, you know, do something other than work. So, um, all right. Well, thank you very much for joining us. I think this is, this was really good. Um, hopefully we gave lots of practical advice to people starting residency, and then we hope to do more of this in the future. So thanks again.